Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Fantastic. Time for our Bible reading, which is from Matthew, oh, hang on a sec, Mark, Mark. <laughs> chapter 9, verse 2, um, 2 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah, Moses, Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, if you are a young person in our midst, make sure to head out to um, United Kids. Let me just pull this over. Kirsty and, and Cheryl and the team would love to catch up with you and teach you a little bit about the Bible and how God might be moving in your life. So, it's Valentine's Day. Did anyone notice? <laughs> Did anyone begin the day with breakfast in bed? More than normal? Or a beautiful, have you, anyone got a beautiful lunch or a beautiful dinner planned? to celebrate this auspicious and significant day in our culture. It's one of those funny days, really, isn't it? Valentine's Day. For many couples, it exists as a mountaintop-type experience sometimes. You know, it's a day that life is full-on, and we just need to set aside a day. And so Valentine's Day, for good or ill, ends up the day that couples choose to celebrate and to take some intentional time. Maybe go on a date or take some time just away from the hustle and bustle of whatever life looks like for you kids or, or you know, full-time work or full-time retirement, which I'm told is busier than full-time work. Anyone can relate to that? Daryl can. Shout out. So it's just a time for us to have a bit of a mountaintop special type experience. And, but the thing about a, a day like Valentine's Day or any sort of mountaintop experience is that it just doesn't last very long, does it? Tomorrow is coming. The kids are coming home from the grandparents' place, if that's where you send them to, to have a bit of a babysit. And eventually the mountaintop experience has to come to an end as we navigate back towards everyday life, towards the nine to five, Monday to Friday grind of day-to-day -day life. And I want to talk today 
As we've heard a bit of the passage that Kath shared with us from Mark chapter 9, I want to talk today about descending the mountain. Because so often when we read this passage from Mark's gospel, it's about being on the mountain and the wondrous nature of the mountain. But what I want to talk about today is descending the mountain. Because as strange as it might seem, what I believe the text showed me this week is that true life, true life, a real life of meaning and purpose and significance is actually found when we choose to descend the mountain rather than try and stay at the top where, by the way, we can't ever stay, can we? Not really. I remember for Eloise and I, we, um, one of my favorite places in the world uh, that I've been is the Grampians in, um, in Victoria. I don't know where the other one is. Up in Europe somewhere, I think. Um, the Grampians, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's a bit of a, a, a pilgrimage type place for me because we went there as a family. What f- it felt like every year as a family when I was growing up. We'd travel over there, spend a week, hike the trails and, and things like that. And, and um, we went to a, for a couple of school camps there. But Eloise and I decided to take a trip there once. Um, it was a f- How long ago was it now? I suppose maybe... seven-ish, seven or eight, eight years ago? How old's Mackenzie? So before Mackenzie, so about eight years ago, I think. But the weather was terrible. Shocking. Like it rained all week. Like all week. Trees were felled, the paths were closed. But there was one that was open, and it was to get to the pinnacle. And if you've been to the Grampians and up to the pinnacle, it's the highest point in the Grampians that you can get to. And you can stand up there and see for kilometers and kilometers. And in every direction. Magnificent. But when we were up there, it started bucketing with rain. And there was nowhere to hide, except we managed, we had an umbrella with us. Just one, of course, not two. We had one umbrella. And so we ended up having to, to sort of open it and then find a rock crevice and then sort of huddle in it. Like this was full on torrentialist rain I've experienced. You know, well, I'm sure it was. That's, the, that's my story anyway. So... And we sort of had to hide in this rock crevice so with, the, with, the, with the little rock crevice sort of leaning out a little and the, and the umbrella sort of sheltering us just so that we could find some respite from the rain. And it became really obvious that as wonderful and as extraordinary as this mountaintop experience was, we could not stay there. We had to eventually come down. We were too exposed. It, it wasn't the healthy place to stay. And this... And if we look across Scripture, there are mountaintop experiences everywhere. And some of them are positive, some of them are negative, some of them are, uh, imply a great deal of danger, some of them are, are divine encounters. But as we look at this passage in Mark's Gospel, it's quite an extraordinary one and we, and we learn a great deal. So I'm, I'm going to work my way through it a little bit. It's not a long passage and so I want to spend a bit of time drawing out a couple of ideas of what it might look like that we should experience the mountaintop but then descend back down. So after six days, starting in verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, His three most intimate disciples. And He took them with Him and led them up a high mountain. Now, this was the mountain in the Galilean countryside, and, and they were all alone up there. And before them, He was transfigured. His clothes became dazzling white, 
whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them. And now that's an image, isn't it? This, this passage is actually paralleled in both Luke and Matthew's Gospels. And I think it's in, in Matthew. Matthew describes it as like, white like lightning. Ever looked at a lightning strike? It's pretty bright. So Mark describes it in a slightly different way, but we get this picture of the extraordinary glory and majesty of Jesus in this moment. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than they could be bleached. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking to Jesus. Now, we've all had mountaintop experiences in our life. Things that we, what we look back to or we're experiencing even now, which are extraordinary. And for the disciples, this was the most extraordinary thing they had experienced up to now. They'd seen healings, they'd seen demons driven out, a whole bunch of stuff they couldn't understand and couldn't explain, but this was something different. In this moment, they saw Jesus for who He really was. The Son of God, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for, and He was transformed in their midst. But we don't have to have an experience like the disciples to relate to this, I don't think. All of us have mountaintop experiences at different times. Valentine's Day, as I mentioned, those of us who are in a relationship, We've, you go through something called the honeymoon period, don't you? Anyone relate to the honeymoon period? Anyone remember the honeymoon period, maybe? I don't know. You might still be in it. If you are, good for you. But it's that moment where it's, everything is just wonderful. It's extraordinary. We ju- it's just couldn't get any better. What a wonderful thing it is. So we, we experience mountaintops in relationships and even in our workplaces. If, if you've you might remember a time that there was a mountaintop experience where you had extraordinary success at work. And you were able to achieve things that were just extraordinary. Sometimes our mountaintop experiences look like that. And and other times it's just the Christian life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you experience something surreal of the intimacy of God. It might be in a moment or in creation or just sitting there in the stillness and the silence. And you encounter God in an extraordinary way or you go to a, a youth camp. They, was, they were renowned for those, weren't they? Go to the youth camp and experience a mountaintop experience with God. Mountaintop experiences are something I think we can all relate to. And for the disciples, this was an extraordinary one. But then Peter, seeing Elijah and Moses there, he says, Rabbi, Rabboni, teacher, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, three tents, three places to reside. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Mark gives us a little sort of side comment. He says, Peter was kind of frightened here. He didn't really know what to say, so he just said this. But what I find really telling is there's something significant in what Peter said in this moment. And it's something that exists within each of us. And then it, it's something about these, these mountaintop experiences where we just want to stay there. We want to stay there. We want to bottle, if I could frame it this way, bottle the, 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 this mountaintop experience and just want to hold on to it. I wonder, have you, can you relate to that at all? Have, having experienced something wonderful in your life, you look back and all you want to do is you just want to stay there. If we could, I think it's one of the great movie quotes, if we could stay in this moment forever, I would. 
And for the disciples, it was pitching a tent for Elijah and Moses and Jesus. It was the revelation of the coming of Christ, as far as we understand. And so they thought, Feast of Tabernacles, the, the feast where we put shelters up to declare the coming of the Messiah. And so that's what we think Peter had in mind. But for us, bottling these mountaintop experiences is trying to live in that eternal honeymoon. Living in a relationship with rose-colored glasses all the time. Not seeing things for the way they are. Looking back to when we were more in love and wishing things were like that. I wonder if maybe that's an experience you've had in a relationship. Or if in our workplace, it could be trying to ride the gravy train of success. Is that it's trying to, to just sit in the goodness of whatever is experienced, the best month we've ever had in financially or, or the most successful time we've had as a church in, in terms of attendance or whatever. And we just keep things the same so that we can hold on to it. Because if we don't change anything, then it should stay okay and everything will be fine. Maybe sometimes we try and ride the dra- gravy train of success in holding on. But particularly, one of the things that connects with me the most is my favorite time in, in my Christian faith and journey was the 90s. I'm sorry, it's, it's true. It's true, I love now, but I love the 90s. Hillsong worship, shout to the Lord, eagle's wings. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Some of you shout out to those who were immersed in that Hillsong sort of, that was just, that was my formation as a young person going to Hillsong conferences, singing these, these extraordinary worship songs. And I wish sometimes that we could go back there. Don't judge me. I wish we could go back there sometimes and sing some of those songs over and over and over again. The songs that I was baptized to back when I was 14. I want to stay in that moment together, like staying at camp, like staying in that 70s revival. But the challenge is that like Peter, it's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would we stay there? We can't. It's not realistic. And so I wonder if for some of us the challenge, and it certainly spoke to me, was that stepping into the future actually means being willing not to stay in the past. Where our memories are fondest, where our desires and hopes are most easily and most wonderfully realized. That there's a challenge in as that we are actually called not to stay on the mountaintop, but we are called to descend it. But one of the things we need to acknowledge is the reality that exists within it. There's a little bit of Peter in each of us, isn't there? That we just want to stay on the mountaintop. Can we please just leave things the way they are? Because if they don't change, then this won't change. And then everything will be okay. But the, the thing is, that's not what happens in the passage, is it? Peter says this suggestion, but it's almost like Mark, the narrator, says, actually, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Because a cloud appears, and it covers both Jesus, or it says it covers them, and we understand that to be the cloud covers Jesus and Elijah, and it covers Moses. And then the cloud disappears. No, sorry, the cloud comes down. Let's get this right, Josh, come on. The cloud comes down, and a voice comes across, and it says, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. Now I wonder, have we heard that before? We turn our our way back eight chapters to Mark chapter 1. And Jesus is baptized. And a voice comes down from heaven and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, as the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And so we see that was the beginning of things for Jesus' ministry. But here we see a shift happen. Something changes. Because who's present with him? We've got Moses and we've got Elijah. Moses was the prophet that led Israel out of Egypt. We know that story well. And as he leads them out, God instills a new way. He claims Israel as the nation of his very own, and he instills a new way to do life with the commandments that we know and the law that is in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Principles that help us understand what it means to navigate the world as God would have it happen. And so Moses symbolizes the law, the right way of living, the way to attain our righteousness through right living. And then we've got Elijah, the prophet, the greatest prophet, they say, of the Old Testament, the one in whom actually never died. Turn back to 2 Kings. Yeah, 2 Kings. And we discover that Elijah was actually taken to the holy place, to God, by a chariot of fire. So he never died. And so Elijah is known as the the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And so here we have symbolized the law, living right, and the prophets, the revelation of God in the world. And here is Jesus having a conversation with both of them. And then when the cloud disappears, suddenly, no one else was among them. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one except Jesus. And something really significant happens in this moment. That the disciples, or it's shown to all of us, that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. If we weren't convinced by His likeness being transformed, then what we discover is that as Jesus, as God speaks a word over His Son and says, this is my Son whom I love, listen to Him. It's in this moment we realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law as revealed by Moses and the prophets, the revelations and, and, and truth of God as revealed by Elijah. Jesus is the fulfillment of both. And if we're paying attention, we realize that this is the pivoting point in Mark's gospel, where everything begins to change. Where it's been all miracles and fun. And then from here on, it gets harder as Jesus begins his walk and his journey to Jerusalem and then ultimately to the cross. Where, Jesus, where they fully realize what it means that Jesus is the Messiah. And something jumped out at me in this, in this, in this moment. And the idea is simply this. That you and I, on our mountaintop experiences... We need to pay attention on the mountain to navigate the valley. I'll say it again. 
We need to pay attention on the mountain to be able to navigate the valley. See, for the disciples, there was something extraordinary that they experienced. And if they were paying attention, it showed them what was going to happen next and how they should be navigating it. It showed them what it meant that Jesus was to be the Messiah. It showed them that Jesus was the one that's worth following. God says, this is my son, listen to him. That was the hint. And if they were paying attention, they would get it. And from then on, it would get harder for them. And Jesus would teach them two more times about the suffering that he would have to experience as the Messiah. And if they were paying attention on that mountaintop, they would have realized exactly how to navigate the valleys by following Jesus in the ways that he said. And I wonder if that's true for us as well. If we were to pay attention on the mountaintops, I wonder if for some of us, there's the opportunity to learn how to navigate the valleys of our life. I wonder if for some of us in our relationships, so often when I do marriage counseling with people, pre-marriage and post-marriage as well, one of the things that I talk about is leveraging the times that you remember communicating well, the times that you remember having mountaintop experiences. When life is hard, look to those and figure out what was working well. What did you need to learn in those moments to help you navigate and communicate better in the times that are more stressful, that are more challenging? And I wonder if for some of us, you might be really struggling with a relationship right now. It might be a spouse or a partner, but it might be a, an, another relationship, friend, family member. But it, and you don't know what to do about that. And, and I might suggest that maybe there's an opportunity, an invitation to look to a mountaintop in that relationship. Look back, take, a, take, take some time. Look back and see what it was that was working and what it is that God might want to show you in that to help you navigate the valley that you're in at the moment. I don't know. Maybe that's a word for you. I know for some of us in the business world, it, it, it's a tough time. COVID has been a, a struggle, a challenge. I've seen so, so many business owners that I know that I've met around town have closed or had to suspend trade or whatever because of COVID. And, and that might be experience. If you're joining us online, you might know someone like that or in an organization. And I wonder if the invitation is actually the same. That maybe there's a challenge to look back to when things were better and figure out what it is you can learn from that. Because I believe God doesn't just give us mountaintop experiences for our benefit in the moment. I believe like the disciples, God gives us mountaintop experiences for the benefit of the future. And if we're willing to pay attention, we can see the way God would want to teach us, grow us, expand our understanding to help us navigate the future. And you might be in a mountaintop experience now where you feel super close to God. And I want to invite you, pay attention. Pay attention in the mountaintop. Because like the disciples, we can't stay there forever. There is a valley coming. 
Jesus said, in this life, you will have trials, you will have troubles. It's not you may, or if you live the right way, you won't. It is a promise, in this life, you will have trials. And so I believe the blessing of the mountaintop is not to stay there, but it is to show us something of God and of what, it, what, what we can learn to help us navigate the times when things are going to get harder. So pay attention on the mountain to help us navigate the valleys. And I've got a, a thought in my notes here, and it's a really interesting one, but it's, it's if we don't know, if we don't know why something works, when it breaks, we don't know how to fix it. And I wonder if this is a part of this idea. If we don't know how something works, then when it breaks, we don't know how to fix it. I think that's true of our relationship with God. I think that's true of our relationship with others. I think it's true of our success in business. I think it's true for the life of this church. If we genuinely have no idea why what is working is working, then when it stops working, we have no idea what to do. And so this was a challenge to me as a, as a leader in this church and in my relationships that what things might be going well but don't get complacent about it. The challenge is for us to learn why something works well, so that when it stops working, we know how to fix it. But let's continue back to the text. And so suddenly they looked and saw no one but Jesus. And then in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen, until the Son of Man, that's how He referred to Himself, had risen from the dead. And the disciples, in verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, but they discussed amongst themselves what rising from the dead even meant. See, we get an insight. We know how the story ends for Jesus. But they didn't. They didn't know what rising from the dead meant other than what the prophets had said. And as far as they were concerned, they just saw them. So was that it? <laughs> like, have they just risen and then they're gone? Is that it? Was there nothing more? And so they were discussing and trying to figure this out. And what God showed me in this passage, I think, is perhaps the most significant thing that we, we need to learn, or certainly that I needed to learn. And it was that the revelation is what guides us to the resurrection. So we look at the rhythm of Jesus' life. And Jesus, in this moment, is revealed as the Messiah. And he allows that revelation to be the thing that guides him now. From here, all the way to Jerusalem where ultimately he is crucified, because that's the Messiah's job. That was his role, that's why he came. But it was his identity as the Messiah that allowed him not to stay dead, but instead to be raised to life. So it was the revelation of the mountaintop, his, his glory, his majesty, his divinity, that guided him through the valley to the resurrection. And I wonder if there's something of this rhythm that you and I are called to as we come down the mountain. 
as we descend from the mountaintop experiences of our life. I wonder if there's something of this rhythm that you and I need to model as we follow Jesus. As I said, if the disciples had listened, they would have allowed the revelation that they experienced to guide them and help them understand what it meant for Jesus to have to experience the death and resurrection. But for us, I think, if we're to model ourselves on the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is coming down the mountain and dying to ourselves and discovering a new life on the other side of it. It's dying to ourselves and discovering a new life on the other side of it. See, in our, in our relationships, so often reconciliation only happens when we choose someone else over ourselves, right? We actually only have the ability to reconcile. We talked about this in, in the, sort of the lead up to Christmas. That a miracle of mercy is the ability for us to extend mercy to someone, to reconcile a relationship by not thinking about us, but choosing the other over us. And what's interesting is that's the very rhythm of Christ in this moment. And I wonder if some of us need to model the revel that revelation as our guide to resurrection. That there's new life in a relationship we've got somewhere that's not working. But that that, that, that resurrection, that new life needs to come by descending the mountain, using what we have learned, dying to ourselves and being raised again to new life. When it comes to organizations, I think the principle is the same. Rebuilding comes at a cost. Sometimes we need to die to the old ways. We need to die to the things that we were holding on to, the things that we wanted to stay the same, so that we can discover a new life on the other side of it. We need to allow the revelation to pave our way to resurrection. And I was challenged with this same rhythm, with sharing faith, with the Christian life, with the Christian church. It doesn't matter where you look, the principle is the same. That so Jesus allowed the revelation of his glory to guide his road to resurrection. So we need to allow the revelations of these mountaintop experiences and what God wants to show us and the way of Jesus to guide our journey to new life. Laying down our preferences for the sake of the future of the church. Laying down our pride and our worry so that we're willing to share, share faith with someone and see a new life in Christ become a reality for them, maybe. Friends, we, we've got to descend the mountain. We've got to be willing. And as we do that, we need to allow the, the revelation of the mountain to guide our journey to the resurrection, whatever that looks like in your life. 
And of course, the most wondrous truth of all of this is not about our Christian life. It's not about our business. It's not about our relationships, person to person. The greatest truth in all of this is that what Jesus did when He descended the mountain, He did for you and for me. That Jesus descended the mountain for us so that we could find new life, so that we could experience relationship with God. I'm sure He would have loved to stay there on the mountaintop in the blessing of His Father. This is my Son whom I love. Don't you think He would have yearned to be back with the Father? Because that's where He came from. And from the beginning of time, He would have yearned to be back there. But instead, the wondrous truth is that He chose to come and to humble Himself, to descend the mountain from glory to earth and allow the revelation of who He is as the Messiah pave His road to a resurrection that wasn't for His sake, it was for ours. It was for ours. So if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear that. That Jesus descended the mountain for us. For you. And so then what do we do with this? Well, I want you to ask yourself two questions this week too. Two questions to help you pay attention to the mountaintop, to see the revelation God wants to show you in, that, in those places. And the questions are simply this, what was true then? You can define that however you want. What was true then in that mountaintop moment of your relationship or in your business or in your life with Jesus, your relationship with God? What was true then that made it so good and then what could that look like now? Because now is not then. You now can never recapture then. But there is something that was true of then that can be true of now. And I believe God wants you to show you that this week so that you can find a sense of new life in an area that you have been struggling for so long. For me, it was a reminder when I look back at the moments in my life where God was felt closest, for me, journaling was that reality. It was that every time that I take the time to be with God one-on-one, not just read the Bible, but think about it, write about it, when I feel closest to God, when I feel most in sync, when our ministry seems to be just flowing easily, that is, for me, the core revelation that leads me to new life. And when it's not working, when ministry's not working, God points me back to the same place. He says, Josh, what are you doing? What is it that works? Get close to me. That's what works and everything else comes after. Seek first the kingdom and then all other things will be added to it. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you, but that's what it looks like for me. As a minister, I cannot 
pastor you without being pastored by the Father. And so when things are hard, I'm reminded I need to look back to what worked and figure out what that needs to look like now. And with kids, it looks different to what it looked like without kids. I've got to tell you, finding one-on-one time with God looks different with kids than it does without. But I need to find out what's true then and figure out how it can be true now. I wonder what that looks like for you. But allow that revelation to guide your path to resurrection. A path that will probably come at a cost. But I promise you that there is life on the other side. A life that you didn't even know was possible. A life that is given by the love and grace of our Heavenly Father. Who, by the way, through the work that Jesus did, now says a word over your life that says, you are my adopted child. You are my adopted son or daughter. And in you, I am well pleased. So allow the revelation to guide a resurrection in your life this week, this month, this year, to find new life that God has in store for you. Let's descend the mountain this week. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, I thank you for the opportunity to explore your word this morning. And Lord, I know this can be a challenge. There's there's so much here that we wish was different. We wish we could hold on to those mountaintop experiences. We wish that things could just go back to the way they were. but, But Lord, that is not how you made things to be. We don't get to bottle time. So Lord, would you give us the grace to receive a truth that says we need to pay attention to what's going on in those mountaintop experiences because there's something you want to show us about what it means to live life with you. And then Lord, would you have us, would you give us the courage to allow that revelation to guide our road to new life, to resurrection, in the same way you did for us. And Lord, I especially want to pray for anyone that might have heard this message, to receive this word, and and they've heard for the first time the truth of what Jesus has done for them. Lord, I especially pray, give them the courage to reach out, to ask to me, to this church, to someone close, to share what it is that you have showed them, that they might find new life and new hope in Jesus for the very first time. We thank you and we praise you for the privilege. But would you help us to allow your revelation to guide our life to resurrection and new life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gaulyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.